Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. So we're going to do a little bit of a survey. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands in the air if these things are true. Um, Do you check your Instagram social media accounts when you were waiting in line? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're sitting next to that person, are they telling the truth? No one wants to. (laughs) I see Elizabeth going. Yeah. All right, so if, um, how many times, or do you often burn your mouth when you eat? More times than you'd like to admit because you don't want to let the food cool. Raise your hands. Yeah? All right, all right, all right. That makes sense. Um, How many of you get angry sitting in traffic? (laughs) We're excited about that one. (laughs) Yes, my rage. I am just, I'm ready to go. All right, how many of you skim books, instructions, and articles rather than reading the whole thing? Yeah, all the, all the book people in here are really judging you, like really deeply. All right, how many of you, when your plane lands and pulls up to the gate and the fasten seatbelt sign comes off, you know where this is going, immediately stand up and try and get in the aisle, even though the doors aren't open and you know you're still waiting another 10 minutes? I only see one hand, so you all are liars. So, okay, two. I see two. That, I mean, that is just a thing. I see someone waving like, frantically in the back like, oh, yeah, that's me. Last one. Okay. How many of you would consider yourself patient? <laughs> oh, I'm like, nobody. Like a few. All right. All right. Patience is a good thing. Um, I think generally speaking, we, we don't really do well waiting for really anything. I mean, you look around now and we, we hire out someone going to do our grocery shopping for us so that we don't have to spend the time to do it. Um, a lot of us will spend an extra $100 or $200 on a direct flight just so that we don't have to have a layover. We get bent out of shape if we're in line at McDonald's or Starbucks for too long, if our spouse is taking too long to get ready, if our kids are getting, taking too long to get ready, we get like kind of irritated and agitated. We look for same-day or one-day shipping, right, so we could have immediate gratification. If we have to get two-day shipping, oh, what the heck? What's the point of even having something like Amazon or or immediate shipping like that? We're just, we're busy people. I think we need to be able to be honest about that. We're busy people. We don't have a ton of extra time in our lives to simply wait around. We have a lot of things on our plates. We have families and friends and jobs and and hobbies and different responsibilities that, that require a lot of our time. And, and I value my time, and I would hope that you value your time. I, I get all the reasons why we don't like to wait, because we understand that, that really time is almost currency now, nowadays. And our culture really values busyness, right? Like, if, if I say, I'm really busy, it's really easy for me to go, okay, if I say I'm really busy, then you might think I'm important because I've, I've kept myself doing other things and I have all these other things that I could point to, so you might think that, that I'm really important. Or if I say, you know what, I'm, I'm not that busy, then I could in my head go, ooh, are you going to think I'm lazy? Are you going to think that I'm not using my time well? 
Um, like when we say that we're busy, that we have a lot going on, it's kind of a weird flex to the world around us, right? And it's saying like, man, we have our stuff together. We are, we are so important and we're so capable and we're so gifted and we're so good with our time management that we are just busy nonstop, but we're also completely exhausted. We're just so, so tired. And I think all of us know this to be true on, on some level. You, you hear the conversations that we have with one another, and oftentimes we talk about how tired we are, how busy we are, how fast this life seems to be passing us by. And we're just exhausted. Last week we wrapped up our message series, Disinformation Campaign, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to any of those sermons or to see them, you can go to our YouTube channel or our podcast. It would really Really encourage you to listen to those. There's just some really good stuff in there. But we ended last week with a question. And that question was, how can we take captive our thoughts and how can we be transformed? And today, we're starting a new sermon series called Fast and Slow, where we're really digging into answering that question. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. I think, fundamentally, we all want to be happy, right? Like, you don't talk to someone and they're, not, they're like, oh, gosh, yeah, I just really wished I was more depressed. Like, no one says that. Like, we want to be happy. Like, that's something that's, that's deep within us. We want to have better well-being. We want to have better mental and emotional health. We all want to know how to relax better. We, we, we want to have healthier relationships, and oftentimes we just don't know how. I believe that we want all these things on a, on a deep level, but we're running ourselves so ragged we don't necessarily have the tools to do it. There's a reason that I'm betting about 50% of us in this room or watching at home have mindfulness apps, do breathing exercises, are constantly looking for various ways to improve self-care so that we can just handle kind of the chaos that seems to be our lives sometimes. And those things are great. Those are wonderful tools. But I think the problem is, is oftentimes we're just treating the symptom and we're not actually treating the root issue. In fact, I would say that we've actually caused even more chaos in our lives because we're focusing so much energy on the symptoms without ever trying to understand or identify what the root issue is. All we know is that we're tired. All we know is that we're busy and we're irritable and we're rushed and we're anxious and we're overwhelmed. And our inability to say no to certain things, our rushing, our hustle has become one of the greatest tools that Satan has used to imprison us. Corrie ten Boom, who if you don't know who she is, please look her up. She's incredible. There's a book called uh, The Hiding Place. Definitely encourage you to read it. She, she once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, expands on this a little bit. He says, there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. So let me ask you, what do you think would happen if you slowed down? For some of us, that makes us really nervous. We've gotten really good at having as many plates spinning as we can. And if we slow down, that means they're all going to crash to the ground. What would happen if you slowed down. And I'm not talking about what would happen if you escaped from the world and withdrew and didn't talk to anyone and hid in a closet until you died or anything like that. I'm not talking about, like, what would it be like if you just decided to be lazy and not care about anything. But what would it look like if you intentionally 
slowed down. And maybe a better question underneath that question is, why are you so busy? Why are you so overwhelmed? Why are you in such a rush? What's causing you to lean in to such a hurried sense of existence? These are questions that I've been asking myself, not just in preparation for this sermon. I would say probably for the last eight years. This is something that my wife, God bless her, has continually held up a mirror to my face to, to certain aspects of, of my life that, that probably haven't been super aligned with Scripture or, or been in a good place. These are questions that I've just been wrestling through for a good chunk of the last decade. And in preparation for this message and, and trying to research, go to Scripture, having conversations with other people, there's a few different things that have kind of bubbled up, some consistent answers that I heard from a lot of people and from a lot of the research that I did of, of why we are so busy. And I'll get to those in, in a second. But first, I want to share with you Proverbs 21.5. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Meaning, people who use their time well, they use their time with intention, experience the fullness of this life the way that God intended it. But the people that are hasty, the ones that are rushed, the ones that are hurried, the ones that are constantly going, their lives are going to be miserable. I think a lot of our lives are miserable. I don't want your life to be miserable. I don't want my life to be miserable. I want us to be able to experience the fullness of this life the way that God has designed it. But we have to be willing to look at that root issue and ask that question, why are we so busy? Why are we so rushed? Now, I'm going to give you three reasons that kept coming back up, and there, there are probably more, but these are kind of the three of the biggest and these aren't comfortable. So I want to be really clear. This isn't like shots fired. This isn't, I'm not trying to shame or guilt anyone. This is, I think, just, it's hard to hear because I think we understand some of the truth in these responses. Um, one reason is sometimes we're busy because we're actually lazy. And I know that sounds like a, a contradiction. And what I mean by that is that we lack discipline. We're, we're rushing constantly. We're so busy constantly because we just lack discipline, and we wait until the last minute to take care of things that could have happened yesterday or last week or last month or last year or years ago. We lack the tools to have timelines and follow-up, and so we constantly feel like we're moving at 100 miles an hour because that's all we know, because suddenly we remember a new deadline. We remember a new uh, responsibility. We just, oh my goodness, I forgot we have softball practice tonight, and there's practice this next day, and we, we keep forgetting because we're just undisciplined with some of our habits. And our thought process becomes something more of, I got to stay busy though, because if I don't stay busy, then I'm going to fall behind. And if I fall behind, then I'm going to seem weak and incapable. And we don't like to look weak or incapable. We're afraid to give ourselves the space to do a reset and to lean in to a growth mindset, to learn new and better and healthy habits, because if we, if we lean into that, that means, you know what, we might have to be honest and vulnerable with some of our weaknesses, and we don't like to do that necessarily. That takes work. That takes a different kind of time, and so we just continue on, stressed out, trying to keep our heads above water, because if we're trying to keep our heads above water and it looks like we're swimming as hard and as fast as we can, then people won't notice us as much because it feels like everyone is, is doing that. 
Another reason is we just aren't great at prioritization. Everything feels urgent all the time. And sometimes it's because of things outside of our control. Maybe you have a boss or a friend or a spouse who everything is the most important thing all the time. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be work. It could be dinner. It could be a TV show. It could be whatever. It is the most important thing. Here's the reality of it. If everything is the most important thing, nothing is really the important thing. You end up devaluing the concept of what is essential and what isn't. And we're just generally not great at discerning what's the most important thing and what's not as important. What is the thing that absolutely should be done and should be done well, and what are things that might be able to be done later? We're just not necessarily good at that. And so because we make everything a priority, we make everything the most important thing, we give ourselves ulcers, and we carry around Pepto-Bismol with us and chug it like water because we don't know why our stomach is so upset all the time and why we're breaking out in stress hives all the time. And we'll bite people's heads off because we feel disrupted or inconvenienced because we just have so much to do, and everything that we have to do, even the fun stuff, is the most important thing in the world. It's the most essential thing in the world, and it just continues to make us busy. Lastly, and I think probably the biggest reason, and especially I think it speaks to the other two, is we have horrible boundaries. Like, they're just terrible. We don't know how to say yes to the right things and no to the other stuff. And here's the thing about boundaries. Lock this in your brain. If you don't set your boundaries... Everyone else will set your boundaries. If, if you don't take the time to set your boundaries, everyone and everything else in every sphere of your life is going to set those boundaries for you. When you answer a work call or a text and you're at the dinner table with your family, I'm going to go ahead and say you don't have good boundaries. When you've signed your kid up, for three different sports, and now your entire family schedule is wrapped around that. When the emotional needs of one friend cause you to ignore all of your other friends, when you're mindlessly scrolling on your phone in bed instead of connecting with someone, I'm going to say that you've allowed yourself to have terrible boundaries. You've allowed someone else or something else to set your boundaries. And we all do it, right? We've all been at that school recital and we see a parent answering emails on their phone. We've all been to that wedding when someone is texting during the vows. We've all been at that dinner with our friends or family when someone decides to take a phone call about work. We just don't have good boundaries. We let everyone else define them for us. And in the process... We just continue to rush through this life. We continue to feel busy. If you don't set your boundaries, everyone else will set them for you. And the reason everyone else will set them for you is because everyone and everything is always going to be vying for your attention. That's just, that's just this life. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, really tries to encourage the church to walk in love, to be imitators of God. He, he gives some practical examples of what this looks like, and, and it leads us into chapter 5, verse 15. 
He says, look carefully then how you walk. Pay attention to how you're living this life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And I want to stop there just for a second because that's really what we were talking about in our last sermon series, Disinformation Campaign. The reality that there are unseen forces amongst us that are constantly trying to have us lean into the brokenness of the world in a negative way and allow it to consume us. We're not talking about the Illuminati. We're talking about the reality of a spiritual world, the reality of Satan. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be wisdom. Be intentional. Look at how you're using this time. Paul, when he says this, it carries with this idea that it's investing our energy and time into things that are worthwhile to the kingdom of God and our relationship with God as beloved children. And it, it really points back to the very beginning of this letter for Paul when he says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators. Be apprentices. Learn from God. Learn from Jesus. And walk in love. Just as Christ did. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. But here's the thing. And we all know this to be true. Love is really time-consuming, isn't it? Love is is time-consuming. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of kindness. It takes endurance. And it just takes an abundance of time. When we read Mark 12, when Jesus is asked, what is the most important thing? What's the most important commandment, the thing that we should never, ever forget? He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. We, we hear this. We have heard this. Even if this is your first time in a church or viewing a sermon, you have probably heard something like this before because we've heard the golden rule, and the golden rule comes from this. We can hear this. And yet we miss a fundamental fact in our 21st century mindset. And that's that hurry and love are incompatible. They don't mix well. They don't play together. They're they're polar opposites. But that's not what advertising agencies and corporations and armchair internet experts on social media say. They will slap the word love on anything. Because that means they're going to get more likes, and they're going to get more retweets, they're going to get more brand loyalty, they're going to get more dollars, and most importantly, they're going to get more of your time. So either the marketing geniuses and armchair experts on Twitter are right, or Jesus is right. If we believe Jesus' words are true, then hurry should be something we actively avoid, not full-heartedly embrace. Because it's simply something that pulls us away from walking in love with God and with the people around us. And when you look at Jesus' life, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, you don't see Jesus frantically going from place to place, rushing, going, oh no, I'm I'm missing my schedule, I'm going to do this, and ignoring everyone around him. No, he walks. Not just because they didn't have cars. I'm sure that's part of the reason. But he walked at a slow pace. How you can tell what matters to Jesus most is how he responded when he was interrupted. 
And it's not something we necessarily give a lot of thought to, even people that are studying Scripture every day. It's not something we think a lot about. But much of what we see in Jesus' ministry, his teachings, the way he loved people, are because people interrupted him. It's because people reached out to touch his garment. It's because a father ran to him as he was walking to tell him that his son was sick. It's because someone is being lowered down in the middle of a sermon. Much of Jesus' ministry was a response to interruptions, and he didn't respond in an agitated, angry, and frustrated way. No, he saw people exactly where they were, and he met them where they were at, and he loved them well. So if you wonder, if you're wondering, are you moving too fast? Are you too busy? Let me ask you this. How do you respond to interruptions? How do, you, how do you react when your plans suddenly have to change or when you feel inconvenienced? Maybe a better way to get to the truth of that answer is what would your kids say? What would your spouse or your best friend say is the way that you react to inconveniences, to interruptions? We see this in every area of our life. When we are moving too fast, things don't go well. People get hurt. We get hurt. Systems break down. But it feels, it feels like that's our only option because we're just so busy. There's just so much to do. It doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you cut out, how many Red Bulls or cups of coffee you pound through the day. So many of us continue to be exhausted because we're trying to move through this life so fast. And it shows up even how we, we talk to each other when we greet each other, right? We say, hey, how you doing? I'm good, busy, but you know what else is new? But other than that, I'm good. How about you? Oh, I'm good, I'm tired, but I mean, who, who isn't tired, right? Isn't that how we greet one another? It's become so normalized that we don't even see it as a problem anymore. We simply see it as something that is. And when we get to that place, this is what happens. We begin to mentally and strategically go through our entire life and, and start to wonder, okay, what are some things that I could lift out that will give me some more margin, that can give me some more space? And oftentimes, the things that we identify that we could lift out that seem to be the easiest things to lift out are the very things that benefit us the most. And the reason we lift them out isn't because they benefit us, it's because it requires a little bit more of us. And so things that require more from us, we go, okay, just for a time, I'm just going to lift these things out. If you're a Christian, odds are the first thing you lift out are personal spiritual disciplines. Reading the Bible and praying is the first thing to go. Coming to church, being connected to biblical community. Sometimes it's our health, sometimes it's eating right and exercise, and those kinds of disciplines because they're, they're of a benefit to us, right? But they also require something of us. And so we go, just for a season, I'm just going to lift those out so I can have some more space to breathe. I've been there. I've been there. Seven years ago, when my wife was fish, finishing her grad work, I was all over the place. I was trying to be a good husband. I was trying to be a good father. I was the GM of the highest volume store in the company, in, in, in the company that I worked with in the, in the country. And I was, I was exhausted constantly. All the plates were spinning. And I looked at my life and I was like, okay, what are some of the things that I could take out to give me more margin? And it was like, okay, I don't need to walk and exercise every day. I don't need to plan my food as well. I don't need to use 
the Weight Watchers app or the, or the MyFitnessPal app. You know what? Um, I could pray. I'll just do extra prayer tomorrow. And at the end of the week, instead of, instead of reading Scripture every day, I'll just, I'll just read a ton on Saturdays and then I'll catch up. And, and I don't need to go to church this Sunday. Like, church is people and I'm with my people. So, I mean, that's kind of church. And I don't really need to be connected to biblical community. That's what we do. That's what we do. And I can't speak for your experience, but I can tell you from my experience, the moment I did that, the worse my life became. The more challenging my life became. Because when we do that, we become unmoored. We lose our anchor. We lose the thing that we're supposed to be fixed on. And so life becomes even more unbearable, becomes even more exhausting, it becomes even more overwhelming. And Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is something we've heard before. Some of us may have purchased a plaque or something with it on there. But we often leave it there. That's the only part that we read. We're tired, we're exhausted, we have lots of burden. God, please give us rest. And then if God doesn't respond the way that we want to, we get frustrated and we get mad and we get hurt and we go, I don't understand it. We ride this up and down of like, I'm burdened, I'm stressed, I'm mad at God, I don't know why anything isn't changing. And we miss the next two verses. Take my yoke upon you. Meaning it requires something of us. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you know what a yoke is, what Jesus is saying here might seem a little strange. Because a yoke is what goes over a work animal's neck to aid in the tilling of soil. It's the equivalent of saying, hey, I know you're working really hard. I know you're really tired. So here's a tractor. And we see that tractor and we go... Oh, okay, well, at least that will make me more efficient. But really what I don't want to, I just don't want to, I don't want to work at all anymore. I'm just so tired. I'm so exhausted. I'm so spent. What I really want to do is I want an escape. We're constantly looking for an escape from our busyness. We go to TV, movies, shopping, food, alcohol, sex, travel, social media, you name it. And our phones enable us to escape in ways that have never occurred before in the history of humanity. But Jesus isn't trying to offer us escape. And please hear this. Jesus never came to offer us an escape. He's never called the church, the body of believers, to be people that retreat from this world and hide and escape from it. No, he says to boldly and humbly go and be the hands and feet of Christ to the world around us. But we don't hear that. We don't see that. We don't feel that because... We're so busy, we just want to escape. Jesus isn't trying to help us escape. He's trying to give us hope. He's trying to give us tools, equipment, to better navigate and thrive in this world so that the need for escape doesn't even exist anymore. And there's a difference between escape and rest. And we're going to talk about rest in a future sermon here in a few weeks. But escape doesn't exist in Scripture. Rest exists in Scripture. His yoke represents a surrender from all the other things vying for our attention and the acceptance of his guidance and direction. The tools allow us to experience this life with great fulfillment and joy and hope and peace. And look, so many of the things we consume, they're not bad in and of themselves, but if we're honest, we're not even really getting to enjoy them fully because we're just rushing on to the next thing. 
And Jesus is reminding us continually that it doesn't need to be that way. He knows that our burden is great. He knows that we're tired and that we're exhausted. And he wants to remind us that his burden is light. In, in his book, The Unhurried Life, Alan Falling says, rest is not a place I collapse into when I'm finally done enough work. It's the starting place. It's the way into the well-fitting, easy yoke of Jesus. How can we make space for the God of the universe or have intimacy with Jesus or experience the life-changing work of the Holy Spirit if all we're doing is try to shoehorn him in or shoehorn them in into our week? How can we show up and be present for our family and friends and community if everything else is the priority? I mean, we've gotten to the point in society where we have one-minute bedtime stories for our kids because we don't have enough time to read a whole chapter or to finish a small golden book. We have one-minute devotions and Bible readings because that's all we have time for. Talks longer than seven minutes make us uncomfortable or anxious or agitated because our attention spans are shortening. Peter, if you're in here, that one was for you. <laughs> he knew I was going to do that. Statistics continue to show that, show that our attention spans are shrinking. And then we talk about efficiency, right? And efficiency can be a good thing. But we don't use our efficiency to get more margin. We don't use efficiency to get rest. We don't use efficiency so that we can have more space to love God and love people. Well, no, we use it more as a means just so we can do more. Just so we can accomplish more, to keep ourselves busy, to keep us moving fast, to ensure that we will live a hurried life. Another thing John Mark Comer says in his book that I really appreciated, he said, it's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we're too habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screen. We're more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. So going back to last week's question, how do we take captive our thoughts and how can we be transformed? Step one, slow down. Slow down. And I know that it's easier said than done. But if you want to be happier, if you want to improve your well-being, if you want to deepen your spiritual formation and actually relax, then slow down. Over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to continue to look at. We're going to be looking at some different things that enable us to slow down as well as kind of require us to slow down. But before we wrap up completely today, I just wanted to give you three kind of really, really practical things that you could begin doing today and this week and this month to basically start to retrain your brain and to reprogram yourself to, to tell you that it's okay to slow down. And the first thing is this, allow yourself to wait without distraction. What do I mean by that? A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a good friend of mine out of state, and he's been having kind of just a rough spot in his marriage, and so he was recapping his latest date that he and his wife went on. 
And they went to a restaurant and they got there. They went up to the host stand. It was an hour-long wait, so they decided, ah, we'll go to another restaurant. They went to another restaurant, same thing. They got to a third restaurant. Their wait was 75 minutes, but at that point, they didn't have any other options. And we do that, right? Like, we start at one place. We don't want to wait that long. We go to another place. We don't want to wait that long. We get to the third place. If we would have stayed at the first place, we probably would be eating by now. Like, it's a, it's a pretty normal thing. But I said to him, I'm like, well, you know, at least you had the opportunity to connect, right? You had some good time to just sit and be and enjoy one another. And he goes, well, I mean, we didn't talk a ton. I was like, what do you mean? You had 75 minutes. What the heck did you do? (laughs) And he goes, "Uh, we both had some emails that we hadn't answered. Uh, My mom called me because there was an issue with the kids. And then um, her best friend, you know, so-and-so, she was texting her because she was having a crisis because everything is a crisis in her life all the time. And, And I felt a lot of shame. Um, not for my friend. For my friend, I, I felt really some deep sadness, and he and I talked about that. It's just, man, what a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Excuse me. For me, it was shame because I realized how often I had done that same thing and how many instances in my life, instead of just looking as waiting as a gift and an opportunity, I found other things to busy myself with at the cost of the people or God that are around me. When we, are, when we look at, at waiting as a nuisance, when we look at waiting as, as the problem, um, we speak pretty loudly that our busyness is more important than anything else. So allow yourself to wait without distraction. What could this look like? Well, For starters, when you go to the grocery store, actually go to the grocery store. Don't have someone else do it for you. That's step one. Number two, find the longest line and get in that one. Hold on, I'm not done. And don't pull out your phone. What am I supposed to do with my time? What am I going to do? Like, I can just see people like like addicts, like, I don't don't know what to do. What do I do do with my hands? Like, my hands always look like this. What do I do? Here's my suggestion to you. Pray. We did a a sermon uh, not too long ago where we talked about praying first, taking the opportunity to pray. Pray. And yes, I know, I'm a minister. I'm in ministry. Like, you expect me to say that. It doesn't change the fact that it's a good opportunity to pray. You have three, five, maybe even seven, maybe ten minutes. Who knows how long that line is? of uninterrupted time where you could just be with God and pray. Where you could look at the people around you and you can pray that maybe, maybe the God would allow you to see them the way that he sees them. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to connect with someone in ways that you never thought you could simply because you were waiting without distraction. Another thing you can do is drive the speed limit. What are you doing, Topher? Drive the speed limit. But Topher, I need to get where I'm going. I have important things to do. I, I know. I know. But Topher, I don't want to do that. It's, it's just driving is a waste of time in general. Well, I mean, it's only a waste of time if you view it as a waste of time, right? That's a choice that, that you can make. I mean, what would happen if you, if you drove in the slow lane and at the speed limit and you used that as an opportunity to just set the tone for your day, to set your heart and mind on Christ, to practice those 
those breathing exercises and, and all the different mindfulness things that we have, have learned? What would happen if we did that? Or if someone's riding in the car with you, what would happen if you just talked to them and you took interest in their life and you listened to them and you loved them? One of the things that I hear over and over and over again is how unseen people feel. So many people I know in my life, so many things in, in media and social media and movies and TV shows, like how many, how many people are continually saying, I just don't feel seen. It's really hard to see people when you're in a rush. So maybe, maybe when you drive the speed limit in the slow lane, maybe that's an opportunity not only to connect with God, but to actually see the people that you're with to take interest in their life. And then lastly, or secondly, uh, put away your phone. This one's a hard one for me, I'm gonna be real honest. Uh, my, <laughs> my wife, whom I love dearly, uh, this week we were having dinner as a family and I was like, hey, so um, this Sunday I am preaching about some things and towards the end I'm talking about things that you have been asking me to do for like eight years. So I'm gonna need you not to like make a big deal out of that, okay? And she's like, what are you going to say? And I'm like, hey, you, know, you know, it's just coming on Sunday. You're fine. You don't need to know. And she goes, what are you going to say? And so I told her, and I, walked, I started walking her through, and I got to, the, to put your phones away. And, and literally, my wife has been asking me to do this for at least eight years. And she goes, oh, mm, mm, mm. So my wife has some wisdom, y'all. But look, put away your phones. You may think you have great boundaries, and maybe you do. But somehow we've given exemption to our phones for those boundaries, haven't we? We allow them really to guide our lives. They are our drug of choice. We are addicted and we don't even recognize that we're addicted. When we're bored, it's the first thing we go to. When we have spare time, it's the first thing we reach for. We take it with us in the car. It's with us in our pockets at all times. We take it into the bathrooms. It's in the bedroom with us. It's like we hear or feel that notification, whether it's a social media notification, a sale like The Gap. I don't know. If you still stop at, shop at The Gap, I don't know. Whatever place you shop, like it doesn't matter what it is. We're like, oh, oh, I got a notification. What is it? And that gets our attention. Put away your phones. Look, our sleep collectively is garbage. When you look at the statistics of the increase in sales of melatonin, NyQuil, bourbon, all kinds of things we use as sleep aids nowadays, and yet we'll lay in bed, won't we? And we'll scroll and we're like, oh, 15 ways to have a better night's sleep. And it's like, oh, put away your phone. I'm just going to skip that one and I'm going to keep going down. Don't have your phone in your bedroom. Oh, I'm going to keep scrolling that one. It's like we just consciously ignore it. I've never seen a study out there that says having your phone with you at all times, having your phone in your bedroom is a good thing. It's just not. Our phones can be a wonderful tool, but we've allowed them to be one of the greatest weapons that attack us. And worse, we just don't even realize it. A great read on this is a book called The TechWise Family. And if you go over to 2810, we actually have a resource wall now of books that our staff just really stands behind. They're all very tied to scripture, but it's kind of very practical also. We have that book and some other books. You can purchase over there if you want. You can buy them on Amazon. doesn't matter. But the TechWise family, if you want a very eye-opening and uncomfortable read, pick up that book. And it's, it's going to challenge you. 
So wait without distraction, put down your phone, and then lastly, walk more. Go on a leisurely walk. Go on a leisurely walk with God, with your spouse, with your kid, with a friend. And I'm not talking power walking here. I'm not talking like walk for 30 seconds, sprint for, you know, seven minutes. I'm not talking about walk and then do box jumps or whatever. I don't know why you would do box jumps when you're walking, but I don't even know what box jumps are. If I'm, yeah, I do. You jump on a box. Anyway, but go for a walk. Go for a leisurely stroll. No technology. Just you, your, the streets around where you live, your neighbors, your friends, your family, and just be. Allow yourself to walk without distraction. Put away your phone and walk at the pace of Jesus. And who knows, maybe you'll end up being the hero for a kid in the neighborhood when you find their lost dog. Maybe you'll talk to a neighbor for the first time, even though you've lived near them for 12 years. Maybe you'll have that breakthrough in your relationship with your teenager when they open up or with your best friend who's been holding back some deep pain that they've had. Or maybe you just get to experience intimacy with your spouse. Maybe it's a time of expressing gratitude to God and recentering your heart, but walk more. Bottom line, it doesn't really matter what plan you have for your spiritual formation. It doesn't matter what plans you have for your emotional and mental well-being. Because if you aren't willing to slow down, if you're not willing to go at the pace of Jesus, if you're not willing to cultivate that time to connect to God and love him and love people well, it's just not going to happen. It's simply going to be an unrealized wish that you look at with regret and sadness and frustration. If you want to be happier, and I know you do, if you want to improve your well-being, deepen your spiritual formation, actually relax, cultivate relationships that flourish, focus on your mental and emotional well-being, then slow down. Go slow, even when the world around you seems to be passing you by. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the speed at which you move. As an impatient person that I know that I am, I am grateful that you are not rushed. I am grateful that there are things to learn in having a slow and steady space. God, I pray um, really for all of us in this room that are watching at home, that will watch in the future, that will listen to the future. God, I pray that your spirit move in our hearts and souls to help us recognize how fast we are moving through this life and the consequences that that is having in our relationships, not only with you, but with the people around us. Lord, I pray that you will remind us continually to slow down, that we will do the hard work to be able to reset and maybe create healthier habits, that we can do things to deprogram ourselves from rushing at the speed of the society around us and instead walk slowly with you. Lord, give us eyes to see people the way that you see them, but more importantly, God, I just pray that you continue to share with us that hope that although we may have great burden, that what you ask us to do is actually very light and that we are not on our own, but you are walking with us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.